Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about training, Dave, because I recently didn't do some and was punished. Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about training me specifically? Well, you and I need to talk about that later, but specifically to our clients and to our teams, how training is is so relevant. Well, persuade me. How is training relevant to persuasion? (laughs) Well, you know, when it... When it comes to our teams, if we invest in them, they'll invest in us. Hmm. And what do you disagree? No, I was about to do. I was about to do the old get smart. Ah, the old reciprocity rule. Yeah, yeah, and and making sure that your teams have the right skills to be able to do the jobs well will ensure that they'll do the jobs well. (laughs) Let me see if I got this right. If we do what's required to make sure the teams have the skills, then they'll actually use those skills. That's the uh, that's the idea, Dave. They're definitely more likely to use them if they have them. That's the truth. <laughs> it's hard to use a skill you don't have. It's true. I tried it this weekend at a half marathon. <laughs> what you you don't know how to run? Well, I I. I remembered how because apparently it's like riding a bike but my muscles um had atrophied significantly since i sat on my butt during the pandemic and broke my ankle yeah and so that's a you know i know we're sort of laughing and joking as i watched you on video run gingerly to the back to show me the metal <laughs> and like your legs weren't even moving at full uh range of motion anymore and yes i was folks i was making fun of her and laughing at her and she did give me the bird. Um, I told him he was number one in my heart. <laughs> it didn't look like your heart, but at any rate, um, but but in serious, seriously, folks, as any young men might say, um, and, and look him up if you have no idea who I'm talking about. Excuse me, I got to go Google that. Yeah, um, but when when we, you know, we, we say you know if you don't have the skills, you can't use them. And it's more than just having the skills or, or seeing like, oh, I know how to put one foot in front of the other and run. But the more you do something, presumably you'll get more efficient at it. However, if you're doing it wrong, you'll maximize the abilities of that wrong way to do it. But that doesn't mean maximize the best way to do it. And that's where training comes in. Am I making any sense here? Well, yeah. I mean, because training isn't just giving people the information. It's also allowing them to do it and giving them some correction maybe, or some, hey, that works, and this might work even more efficiently. By giving them some feedback after the fact, not only are you making sure they got it, but you're not leaving them on an island. Well, you know, this is is interesting. It's one of the things I talk about in my book, right? Training fulfills or or helps fulfill. It it alone by itself is is not sufficient, but it, it works at the safety and security level of Maslow's hierarchy. I know I've talked about this many times. 
And when we give people proper training, what we're really doing is saying, look, your job is secure. We're giving that sense of, look, your job is secure because one, we're investing in you and we want to see that pay off. People know that instinctively, right? You have to then screw up really, really bad before we, you know, because there's that whole sunk cost thing of I invested in training. I want to see you succeed, which is great, right? At the same time, um, training needs to be more formalized than just follow me. Right. Right. And we want to make sure we're doing testing during training. A minimum level of competency needs to be demonstrated before we just let somebody go. And that's beneficial later on if there are challenges or problems when somebody says, well, I didn't know how to do it or, right, you kind of raise the BS flags to be able to say, wait a second, you passed the test. We know you did this properly at one point or you wouldn't be here today. So what's going on? Right. And, and it's so important to check in with people. You know, once they get, if they learn something in a classroom or learn something on, you know, a simulation, being able to go and actually do it and put it into action. You know, sales training is a great example. I've gotten tons of sales training and yet nobody sat with me and watched me actually do it to give me that on the job test so that I could feel more confident because yes, I have the skills. I could tell you how to do it, but actually executing, I don't have the confidence for it. And so actually executing requires another, a little bit more training. And it, you know, it's it's even more than just confidence. And, and uh, let me use an analogy here. I don't know if I've shared with you, but I, I am uh, going uh, taking flying lessons. Mm -hmm. And I have obviously a huge background in aviation, having been a naval flight officer. And we went through flight training of a sort, but we didn't get the monkey skills, the actual physical stick and rudder time. That was not part of what we did because we didn't have the controls or weren't going to have the controls. Now, that doesn't mean... There weren't times where I didn't get to, and I did get to fly the aircraft. So I've flown high performance aircraft airborne, but that's not the same thing. So now I'm going through in this little 172, Cessna 172, 80 knots, we might get it up to 100 knots. You know, you know it's like right, crawling by aviation standards. And I know intellectually what to do. And the monkey skills are coming along. But what it takes is an instructor watching me going, oh, wait a second, you didn't think about this. You didn't think about this. And that's what you were lacking, right? In sales, you go through the sales training, you go, I got the concepts. But now you're out there in real life and somebody throws you a curveball. And you, uh, 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 how do I, how do I, right? Your mind is. Right. And especially with flying, that's important. With driving, that's important. It's the actual practice of doing it, doing it, doing it. So when the moment comes that you really need to do it and do it well, because we're getting really close to the ground here, you're able to execute without thinking about it. It's that unconscious competence. And not all skills need that level of knowledge, but you really need to think about what your team is being asked to do to make sure they know how to do it. Yeah, we, in fact, uh, Friday I went flying and I had a crosswind for the first time. So the winds are coming across the aircraft, which as we're landing, which move, means your airplane tends to, in our case, move from right to left. <laughs> you want to go straight down the runway. Yeah. And, and so do your passengers. 
I mean, and it's not a terrible thing. This wasn't super. It could be, but this, you know, it's a skill you need to have, right? And and because uh, otherwise, the runway gets shorter the more perpendicular you go to it. Um, and so, intellectually, I knew what the correction was, but I didn't recognize because I'm so busy doing all these other things that are taking concentration that I didn't recognize that we were being moving laterally across the runway at the same time I'm moving down the runway. Nobody didn't have an instructor next to me. The results may not have been as good as they were. Yeah, yeah the airports get a little bummed when you land in the grass next to the runway. Yeah, or maybe you land on the runway, but you don't go straight down the runway. You veer off the runway. That's never a good thing. Yeah. So we didn't do that, folks. So don't worry. But, you know, the, the point being training needs to be so there's multiple levels of training, right? So we, we, we have formal, we have informal training, right? I, I call that tribal training. You know, just follow me around for a week, two weeks. Most small businesses do that. It is the worst thing, not the worst. The worst is not train anybody at all, I guess. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's a false sense because you think you're training somebody. They know they're not being properly trained. Mm -hmm. And they know they're not seeing every scenario. And then, of course, what happens is down the road, something comes up and you go, how come you did this? Well, you never showed me. Sure, you went through two weeks of training. Yeah, and this scenario never arose. Right. You miss some of the key times when you need your teams to do the right thing. Maybe it doesn't happen very often and they need to be ready when it does. And, and the piece that people, I think, fail to recognize is that when you don't give good training, you're actually undermining your integrity. Right. Exactly. And so this going back to persuasion, right? is that if our integrity is undermined, then our ability to persuade is also been negatively impacted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and this is exceptionally re relevant right now with all of the turnover and all of the new staff that people are having to deal with and having to train. You don't have a lot of time because you are busy. You're probably doing two or three people's jobs. And yet, how much time do you lose not investing that training right up front in trying to correct things and fix things and retrain and then get new employees down the road. Right. It's, it's, God, you so nailed it because you think I don't have the time today to do it right, but it's do it right once or do it wrong many times. And, and again, going back to your point, you're investing in them and building that trust and respect that's required for persuasion. They're much more likely to stick around. Because they don't feel like you left them on an island and then, you know, slapped them on the hand for not doing it right. Right. Exactly. Which which gets that whole like, oh, my God, they don't. I'm trying my best with the tools they gave me. That's the important part, folks. The tools you gave them. I am doing my best. And they don't appreciate it. They're slapping my hands for it. F them. I'm out of here. Right. Exactly. There are so many places to that are hiring right now, that if, you know, there's not a, an intrinsic reward for being there, they're out, you know? And if you feel like I didn't get trained for this job, now the clients are yelling at me, I'm messing stuff up, I'm having to, you know, it's, it's just, it's frustrating and they'll split, they'll go to the next place. Yeah, or just check out of the workforce altogether, which, you know, and that's the other <laughs> challenge we have. We have millions of people who have literally realized 
I don't really need to be working. You know, yeah. we're, we're, the, the pendulum is swinging back, you know, um, and I think even a little bit in your lifetime, but certainly in mine, you know, it was a one one working adult household when I was growing up. The two working adults was rare. Um, and as I, I think what happened as, as more, and it was women predominantly moving into the workforce, as women moved into the workforce, what happens, of course, is we've increased supply of workers, which lowers their price. And so now you start getting wage depression, which means you needed two incomes for the household. Now the opposite is happening. And it's not necessarily women stepping out of the workforce, because I think there's a lot of Mr. Moms out there now. Mm -hmm. um, but we are getting like, wow, you know, I had to be home with the kids during the pandemic. And we figured it out. And this is kind of nice. This works pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I like my kids, you know, right. and yeah. I, I don't want to strain. I don't want to pay somebody else minimum wage to to raise my kids. Yep. You know. Yep. And so looking at how what is the feeling that people have when they come into our organizations? Are we taking the time to train them right? And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, people don't like to be trained these days. They don't like to be corrected. And if you set up a program that lets them know what the training they're going to have, what the, you know, double back testing or observation or whatever they're going to have and why that's happening, they understand from the beginning what's going to happen. And they're more likely to stick around through it and not whine about it because they know what's coming and they know why you're doing it. You know, you, you've just talked about probably one of my favorite subjects, which is setting expectations. Yes. And, and I think we've talked about this before. You know what? I think it comes up every single week. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, if you want proof of how well training works, I think I want to look at one of my favorite success stories, which is Zappo Shoes. Oh, yes. You know. So, you know, Tony Shea is the CEO, founder of Zappos and, you know, started in San Francisco. I want to say it was like 1999. It could be mistaken about that, but it was, you know, a good time ago um, and uh, moved, eventually moved to Las Vegas because that's the um, uh, call center capital of the world. Really? Who knew that, right? Yeah. yeah. For, for whatever reason. It up and it was founded in July of 99. Wow. Even a broke clock. So, so at any rate, um, you know, Tony decided that he wasn't going to spend any money directly on marketing. His marketing was all going to be through customer service and that the customer was the most important thing in their culture. As a result, every Zappos employee, irrespective of position, goes through a six week intensive training that includes 40 hours on the phone with customers. And once they're done, every year, every employee spends 40 hours through the course of the year on the phone with customers. And his reasoning is that everybody needs to understand everything revolves around the customers because that's how they get new business. Mm -hmm. Or repeat business, which is even cheaper to get. Right. Yeah. Right. They, A, they maintain the customer. If you have zero attrition, you don't need to add a ton of new customers, any new customers is new business, right? So once you're profitable, you stay profitable and you just build on that. But as a result of that, what he discovered is that people who are in seemingly unrelated areas like their CFO and accounting, 
they, they started putting practices in place that were customer centric. Mm -hmm. Their website is really easy to navigate because their IT people understand the problems that customers go through. But they did one, he did one other thing, and, and this has changed over years, but at the end of training, he gives them what he calls the offer. What's the offer, Dave? And slow on the uptake, Dan, but good job. I was just trying to be respectful of your storytelling. <laughs> you need to give the hand gesture earlier. <laughs> earlier. Either that or I put you to sleep. I'm not sure which it is. So the offer, it started off, it was like, if you don't think this company's for you after, go, after going through and successfully completing the training, they would pay you like $500. And what, of course, it was at the time, it was like for low skilled employees, that was a lot of money. But for, you know, higher skilled employees, it was really a meaningless thing. So it ended up morphing over the years. And I believe now it's one month uh, compensation. Uh, it might be two, but one or two months compensation. And it's like, look, if, if we're not the right company for you, we'll pay you for a month not to come in yeah. and go find another job. Mm -hmm. and, and they have about an 18%. Well, it was like 10%. And then they changed their management style and it went up to 18% for a while. I'm not sure where it is today because that was a, that was like 2015. But, you know, still, that means you're dodging bullets when you're not hiring bad employees, when I say bad, they're not bad people, but not good fit employees, yeah. people who are not, not going to be happy. Them. Who are, you're not putting them in front of your customers. Right. Yeah. And you're not poisoning the rest of your employee pool because one bad apple does spoil the whole bunch, girl. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. That, that, that's okay. I was just quoting Michael Jackson and nobody got it. Um, that's from the Jackson 5. Oh. You have to go back to the Jackson 5 days. YBC. Easy ass one, two, three, do, re, be. Those? Those Jackson yep. Fives? Those are Jackson Five, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and and I love Zappos has always been called back on for their excellence in customer service. And it makes a difference. If I have a great experience buying something somewhere, I will go back there again. And if I have a bad experience, boy, I will remember it forever and not go back, whether it's a restaurant or retail or anywhere. And so folks, we were, yeah, Anna and I were talking as we're getting ready for this show. I'm like, okay, I, I certainly see how training and persuasion work from a leadership perspective. And we just came to, and we had no idea how, and you may have another perspective, man, but we just came to how it also affects persuasion of customers when you're in the sales. Because when your team is properly trained and they are providing the results you promised in sales, the next time you ask somebody to trust you on something, they're more likely to trust you. Yeah. Yeah, because your team is delivering what you as the salesperson have um, have promised. Now, I would also argue that training of your clients is also important. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. But how do you mean? Well, I'm, I, it's funny because as I was as I thought this thought about this topic, I uh, am particularly frustrated with my hairdresser right now. And as we joke about my hair. I, um, you know, I'm very proud of it. I like the person that I have. And so I've been going back to her, but she does, she hasn't trained me on what products I should be using, how often I should be getting my hair dyed, you know, how long of an appointment wait, I should wait, be making. Wait, did you just say hair dyed? You mean oh, that's yeah, not Dave. your, that's not your natural color? No, Dave. <laughs> Who am I? I know. I don't know. 
everybody's peeking at the, the pictures right now going, oh, wow, how could you not know that, Dave? <laughs> you know, bright orange. Anyway, well, but, but the fact is she's an expert in hair. I am absolutely not. I just have funky hair that sticks up, right? I don't know how long my appointment for the next thing that I want to do with it needs to be. I don't know how often I should be coming in and getting it dyed. And if she hasn't told me that, I get frustrated with her services because they're not serving me right. I was in the place for five hours the other day, which was, I had to, I had other appointments that I ended up having to cancel because my hair was a very interesting color because she hadn't told me this is going to take longer, make a longer appointment. Right. And I think, I know she's uncomfortable. She doesn't want to boss me around, but I don't know. And so by, if she can find a tactful way to train me how to be the best steward of this fabulous hairdo she's given me, I'm going to be a much more satisfied customer. It took you longer to get your hair done than it took you to finish a half marathon. <laughs> you know what? I could probably do a full marathon in less time than it took to do my hair that day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't relate to that at all. Right. Goes to grocery store, buys 50 cent Vic razor, and 15 minutes later, <laughs> I, shiny. I actually use this thing called a head blade. It's not 50 cents. It's kind of expensive. It's like this goes like a ring. It goes on your finger so I could just wipe my hand. It works really great. And it does the way it's designed. There's like no nicks or cuts or anything. It's, phenom it's phenomenal. I've always wondered that, how you shave a head because I would think that that would be very difficult. Yeah, when I, I first aids all over my head. <laughs> when I first started, yeah, because I use a regular, you know, razor, and, and then yeah, it's it's easy to gouge it. But this 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 is a phenomenal. It's called those of you who also are too smart for your follicles, and you burn them out because of all that heat going in your skull. Right, it just your follicles burn out, and you've head blade phenomenal product. I don't. We're not getting paid. If, if they want to pay us for this, we would accept money. I would endorse them. Um, but I'm not. This is just a product I love and use. So, if well, I... and, and and this is probably a great situation where the person who created the head blade had to educate a bunch of bald guys. Hey, are you tired of nicking your head with the bic all the time? Grab the head blade, bada bing, bada boom. You're a happy camper. So it's yeah. kind of like marketing, but it's education. Like, what did your what does your customer need to know that you're an expert in to make sure that they have a great experience? Yeah, in seriousness, I go back to my telecom days. So in my sales process, we would do a lot of digging, you know, what are the challenges, frustrations, blah, blah, blah. And then we would show them the features, feature benefit, right? We would show them the features and how they would benefit, right? We would do a demonstration and say, you know, you'll be able to, you know, imagine if your secretary could whisper in your ear telling you that your next appointment was here without interrupting the phone call and the person you're talking to isn't even aware. And you could reply without them knowing that this even took place. And we could do all of that. It was this really cool feature we had. And and people get excited about it. Well, if we didn't train them on, and we did, but if we didn't train them on that, then they would get, spend this, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on this equipment that didn't do the things the salesperson promised them. And it's not that it wasn't capable of doing it, but if we don't train them, they're not going to know how to do it and may as well not do it. Right. And, and if they came and complained, if we did, let's just hypothetically, if they came and complained and said, you promised me this. I go, well, no, I can do it. Well, why didn't you ever tell me, right? My ability to persuade in the future would have been negatively impacted. Right. 
And this is a situation, just like with training your new employees, thinking about your new clients or thinking about new products with old clients, making a list, having a, a checklist for yourself, because you're an expert in this stuff. This is what you do all the time. You know, A to X with, you know, without hitting all the steps in between your new people need A, B, C, D, E, and you're going to forget that because you know it so well. So figure out a way that you can remind yourself, what do I need to remember to tell people? Because it's automatic for me. Right. And this is why, again, why I talk about formalized training, which is syllabus based. Mm -hmm. And folks, if you're worried about, I don't know, just, just take, this is so easy. It really is. I don't mean to overcomplicate things because it's not. Take your first best guess. It doesn't matter how good that first best guess is, right? Because what, and, and, and I've done this countless times. You, in your mind, you just go through from, you know, like for me, it's chronological, right? If you're training on a skill and right, think about what are the basics they need to know. Okay. I can't teach them this until they know how to do that, right? You know, um, as, as you folks know, I'm a hockey player, but I just started skating when I started playing hockey three years ago, right? So I remember my first, quote lesson was this learn to play thing. Like, Everybody skate as fast as you can from, you know, we were, at one, we were at one end of the ice down to the other end of the ice. And we did, and they crashed into the boards at the other end. And they said, okay, who's got any questions? I raised my hand, they go, what? I go, how do you stop? How do you uh, skate? <laughs> well, I, I can move. I could, I, you know, there are people who could barely skate, right? You know, because, you know, there's little things like, you know, your feet, you, you, you don't skate like you run. Your feet don't go straight back, right? Because then you just go nowhere, right? They have to go off to the side, but not 90 degrees to the side. They have to go 45 degrees. At any rate, the point being, I could get down the ice, but I couldn't stop once I got there if there wasn't somebody or something in front of me, you know? And so how do you stop, right? So sort of there's a progression, right? No, Nobody was going to teach me how to skate backwards day one. I couldn't skate forwards. That doesn't make sense. Nobody was going to teach me how to do a front crossover on day one. I couldn't even stop, much less pick a foot up and cross it in front of the other and then transition to an edge, right? You can't, that's not a day one thing, right? right? Well, and what, by doing, it could have been a day one thing. By doing that pre-test saying, skate to the other end of the ice, if y'all have gone down really fast, stopped with a, you know, with a hockey stock right yeah right. exactly and done some crossovers he would have been like great we're moving to skating backwards so by that doing that little pretest, you realize where people are and you know what to train next right you have to have assessment of where their current skill level are but if you don't have a syllabus that says this skill requires this skill and, and this is the order in which i'm building then you don't know right right and, and so back to my point earlier make your best develop your syllabus just in your mind go through it and now here's the thing. The first time you teach it, folks, there's the most important tool you can have. Ready? What's the tool, Dave? A pen. Correct. That'll work. Because as you're going through the syllabus and you you're, you're about to, what will happen is you're going to explain, you go like, oh, wait. One of two things are going to happen. You're going to like go, oh, wait, I can't teach you this because we have to cover this first or you're never going to get this. Then you make a note, cover this new thing, cover stopping, whatever it might be, right? Be be before I can do, you know, trend, before I can do quick turns, you know, I need to know how to stop, right? Or I need to know how to get my, whatever it might be, right? And, and now go modify your syllabus. The other thing that'll happen is the other way that comes about is you're teaching something and somebody asks a question and you realize, oh, I didn't give you that basic concept, right? They, they figure it out. Make the note. 
you've done the training, you've, you've gone through it, they've asked enough good questions, you've, right? Now you go back to your syllabus, make those changes in the formal syllabus. So the second time you teach it, that stuff's in place. Guess what? It's going to happen again. Different Still spots, need different. To right. You're going to need to pen every time, but after three times, in my experience, you're not going to need it much. And it's going to be little minor tweaks that you're going to go like, is this better here or there? It could go either place. And you're going to try it both ways. And some at some point, you'll go like, ah, it's fine here, you know, or, or no, this people get it better here, whatever it is, right? But you now you're constantly formula, constantly improving your training. Beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing. Plus, there may be other things they're receiving, you know, on the intake or on a follow or something where it changes what you need over time or even the job changes. So there's always, right. always edits to be done. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not static at all, but it's it becomes much less dynamic after the third or fourth training at the the, the most, you know, it's really at that point, you're like, I got a pretty good training program. And my people come out of here. Wow, they're just so much more productive on day one after training than they ever used to be. And remember, even with your clients or with your team, it is an investment in that trust and respect in the future in delivering confidence to them, which will make them feel a whole lot better about following you. Right. Well, basically what you're doing is telling people, look, I care enough to invest this time in you. I remember right out of college, a friend of mine from high school went to work. I can't remember who it was, but he was a, he was a programmer and it was a, it was a government contractor as they required security clearance. They did six months of training with him. Wow. At, at a very high salary, you know, six months of not quote, non-productivity right oh but that was that was an investment in, in 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 years and years of high productivity afterwards yeah and that they probably walked out of that six months of training confident and ready to hit the ground running yeah and there's nothing better and, and seriously there's nothing better than hitting the deck plates running have getting to your new job feeling confident and competent and supported Right, because it's not just knowing what to do, it's knowing where to go when a, when the curveball is thrown at you. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, this wasn't, because you're not going to cover everything, folks. Right. This wasn't covered in training, but I know where to find the answers. Right. And, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about their teams not being proactive. And in order to be proactive, I need to understand the guidelines through, you know, within which I should be proactive about. Because I, you know, I am a very proactive person. I, I've overstepped the bounds a lot in jobs, <laughs> gotten in some trouble, not bad. But either way, there was some work that had to be redone, which was a pain for me, which was a pain for my boss, because I wasn't given the parameters of how proactive can you be? Where should you be coming to ask for help? And where can you make that decision yourself? And that's where things like customer service training on the phone becomes really good. Like calling in, I called into a meal company that I, they had a money back guarantee. If you didn't like one of the meals that they would give you your money back. You just send, send the rest of the product back. And they, it was a multi meal. It wasn't like send half the meal back. 
I'd like to send half of that burrito and some refried beans back. Anyway, you could send it back. And so I called him up and I said, hey, I don't usually do this. I was really uncomfortable as a customer calling to say, this was really disgusting and I can't, I can't eat the rest of this. And she was empowered. She understood the parameters she had. And she said, tell you what, this is your first call. Don't worry about sending it back. We'll give you, we'll just send you out something else. What do you like? And because she was empowered and trained about what she could do, she was able to make my life way easier and just take care of it. Bing, bang, boom. And it was great. She didn't have to talk to her manager. I didn't have to go to the post office and send it back, which would have been a big pain in the butt. It was a great experience. Yeah, it's funny. My wife and I joke about that frequently where something will come broken and it's useless. Yep. And they're like, well, send it back to us. And I don't mean something that's repairable, right? I mean, something it's like, I can't think of an example. It's smashed. It's it's like it's it's shards, and you're like, maybe order a, a vase, and it comes in, you know, pieces. It's like, what are you going to do? Glue it back together, or is this like you just think I'm lying to you? You know, which is really what goes through your mind. It's like, yeah, this is a twenty dollar vase. You think I'm lying to you about this, right? You know, but yeah, send it back. You know, and it's the last time we do business with that company. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas when I didn't have to send it back, I was more likely to spend more money with them because of the way that I was treated on the phone. Yeah. So train your people, folks. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the bottom line here is that the more you set, and this is, we talk about setting expectations. Training is setting expectations. It really is. The more you set expectations with your customers, and and when you're talking about training customers, also how to work with you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe it's, we're probably running a little long, but I'll make this a brief last story here. Um, our, when I took over at the moving company, the owner, Brian, had created relationships with a lot of people who would call him directly for to get things done. And the, even before I started there, the company had grown too big for him to actually do things by himself. Like when it was just him and his first employee, Ira, you know, and he was the inside guy and Ira was the muscle, although Brian also did the moves with Ira. You know, that was great. Brian could do everything. By the time he hired me, we had 50 employees and he had still would do things that were customer service stuff and do them wrong. Right. And, yeah. And you're not doing your customers any favors there. <laughs> right. And so I had to train Brian to train his customers, you know, to to call customer service. And, and it was simple. It was like, listen, I am happy to have customer service call you to get this done right. I, I, I can't do it myself because I'm going to screw it up. Right. But but do you want me to I can either transfer you now or 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 I could have them call you. But just as an FYI, in the future, if you call this number, they'll get it right the first time. I promise you, you'll be better hands than you are with me. Yeah. And he started saying that. And then next thing you know, he stopped getting phone calls. Right. And he stopped screwing things up. The customer service team was like, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. So training goes to everything. It's not just how to do the job. It's your company culture. It's your parameters. It's with your customers. It's how to work with you, what that looks like, setting expectations, you know, uh, IT companies who say, okay, you know, if it's this sort of problem, here's what you're, you know, don't, don't, please don't call us asking us to set up a new computer system for a new hire in two hours, right? You probably had two weeks from the time you hired them to the time they started. If you could let us know as soon as you hire, right, et cetera. So whatever it takes, 
train your customers, train your employees, and grow your persuasion ability. Amen. All right. Great. Another great show, I think, Anne. I think we've trained them well, Dave. I, I, I think you're right. So until next time. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Anne Bonney at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. <laughs>